Let's open the Holy Word of God this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 25 first, and then we'll read a few verses from Leviticus chapter 24. Exodus 25 concerns the plans for the making of the table of showbread, and Leviticus 24 has some instructions about the bread on that table and the priests who are to eat that bread. It's always strengthening to faith to see the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It shows how perfectly the scriptures are inspired and grants us faith and trust in those scriptures. Exodus chapter 25, let's begin reading at verse 23. Exodus 25 verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown. To the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof and the covers thereof, and the bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me alway. Now turn with me into Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24. We'll read verses 5 through 9 there. Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9. And thou shalt make fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. To that point we read the holy and inspired words of God. Beloved of God, last Sunday in our preparatory service, we were humbled by word and spirit to confess with the Gentile woman that we have no rights to this table of the Lord by nature. In fact, by nature and spiritually, 
We are but dogs before Jehovah God who don't have then the rights to the table that's reserved for the children. We're humbled in that also in a week of self-examination as that spiritual truth comes home to us and seeing our own nature and the sin that still arises out of that nature so that we come this morning sensing our own unworthiness and yet at the same time knowing our own unworthiness we see also our desperate need for what is on this table and the reality that it represents so that we cry out with that woman I don't deserve the bread on that table Lord in fact I don't even deserve a crumb of thy grace and mercy to fall off that table to me and yet I need it and so in my humbled state I don't dare ask for anything more than a crumb but a crumb Lord will give at least a crumb off of the table to me And yet at the same time, beloved, we've meditated in this week gone by too on the fact that in Jesus Christ, it's all different. In Him, we do have the rights to this table. In Him, we are children of our Heavenly Father. We are sons and daughters and have a place at this table. In Him, we're given not merely a crumb, but the whole loaf all the abundance of the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. It's not we who make that difference, but Christ who makes that difference. Now, this morning, let's understand more this table itself at which we are granted the privilege of sitting and having a place. We'll do that this morning by examining one of the great Old Testament Pictures of this prepared table that is before us this morning. That is the table of showbread. Notice first, this morning, the meaning of that table. Second, the preservation of that table. And third, the full reality that that table pictures. Children, do you remember the tabernacle of the Old Testament? And the parts that make it up? The tabernacle always was facing east to west. So if you would enter that tabernacle this morning, you'd be entering it as though you were going out the back doors of the sanctuary, east into facing west. If you'd go through the curtain of that tabernacle, you'd enter into the courtyard, and right in front of you would be the altar of burnt offering upon which the sacrifices were made. You keep walking, and you find yourself at the laver, that big brass bowl in which the priests would wash themselves and other things. And then if you kept going beyond that, you would find the tent itself at the heart of that tabernacle, a tent. And you wouldn't be allowed to enter that, but priests entering in beyond that first veil would come into the holy place, And if you entered into that holy place, you'd be struck, first of all, by the beauty of it. There's gold everywhere, and on the veils are stitched 
angels. And you'd think to yourself, this looks like heaven, all this gold and the angels. And that was the point. It was a picture of heaven where God dwells. Straight ahead of you would, of course, be another veil to the most holy place. In front of that veil would be the altar of burnt incense, itself covered with gold. Behind the veil, the Ark of the Covenant, where God came in the pillar of cloud. To your left, in the room that you're in, the holy place, would be the golden candlestick, the only light for this room. And to your right, on the north side wall, would be the table of showbread. Exodus 40, verse 22, And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward. That table of showbread was not all that large. It was smaller than this table that is before us this morning. If you translate the measurements that are in the scripture to our measurements, it was about three feet long about a a foot and a half deep and two and a half feet tall. It was made out of shittim wood or acacia wood and itself was also covered completely with pure gold. God is holy. Everything in His presence is gold. The table also had a crown molding around the whole top that was about four to six inches tall. It was made out of gold, and it was carved ornately to look something like a crown. Verses 24 and 25 of Exodus 25 that we read this morning, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an hand breadth. That's where I get the four to six inches, a hand breadth. That's how tall this molding was around the top of the table. The table, of course, was inside the tent. It was situated before the very presence of Jehovah God, which is why it was called sometimes the table of the presence or the table before God's face. The passage in Leviticus that we read this morning told us that on this table were 12 loaves of bread. But children, don't think of a loaf of bread that you buy at the store but think of a, a kind of pancake-looking thing. Unleavened bread, probably circular, and maybe about that big. Twelve of them. Lined up in two rows, Leviticus says. So, six of them in one row in the front, and then six of them in one row in the back. These loaves were perpetually on this table. Although they were changed out every week, every Sabbath day. It was the job of the priests to, on the Sabbath day, change out those 12 loaves with fresh 12 loaves. And then the priests were to eat the 12 that are now a week old. Verse 8 and 9 of Leviticus 24. Every Sabbath... He shall set it in order before the Lord continually, and it shall be Aaron's and his sons. They shall eat it in the holy place. There are also utensils that belonged to the table of showbread. Verse 29 of Exodus 25 that we read, And thou shalt make the dishes thereof 
and the spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold, shalt thou make them. There were dishes. Those dishes were plates. Plates on which were set the twelve loaves. So twelve plates on which were set the twelve little pancake loaves of unleavened bread. And then the spoons. The spoons were more like little bowls. And frankincense would go in them. Leviticus 24 verse 7 speaks of frankincense that God wanted to be on these twelve loaves. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial. So either they, with those little spoons or little bowls, took the frankincense and then sprinkled it on, or they set the bowls with the frankincense in it on the twelve loaves. Either way, it was on the loaves. And then the utensils that, that Exodus speaks of are the covers and the bowls to cover with all of pure gold. And there we actually have a mistranslation. The showbread was not covered up. There was nothing covering it. It was before the face of Jehovah God. But instead, that's a reference to pitchers or jugs that were on the table that were full of wine for a drink offering. And when it says to cover with all, it's actually to pour out. And if you're awake and thinking this morning, you're exactly right. On this table in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, was both bread and wine. How similar all of this is to this table prepared for you that's before us this morning. All of the pictures in that table of showbread are the same as the pictures that are on this table of the Lord's Supper before you. Chief among them, for our purposes this morning, is the table itself. There was a table in that tent. And that table was a picture of the fellowship and the communion that God would have with His people in the coming Messiah. This is marvelously spoken of. Right here in Exodus 25, in our passage, we can see that. Just before the plans are given for the building of the table of showbread in Exodus 25, are the plans for the building of the Ark of the Covenant that goes in the most holy place. And the last verse about the plans for the Ark of the Covenant reads this way. Verse 22 of Exodus 25. And there will I meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, and from between the two cherubim which are upon the Ark of the Testimony. Build this Ark of the Covenant, because I'm going to meet with you there. I'm going to come down in the pillar of cloud, and my cloud will rest right there on the mercy seat. Because I'm going to commune with you. And then notice how the next verse starts. The first verse about the building of the table of showbread. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Thou shalt also make. If you keep going in Exodus 25. When it talks about building the candlestick. and The altar of burnt incense. And the curtains. There's no also. It's not thou shalt also build... It's just, and you shall build the candlestick. And you shall build 
God's making a connection between the Ark of the Covenant and the communion and this table. He's saying, build this Ark of the Covenant because I'm going to come down and I'm going to have communion with you there. And because that's my purpose, then also build a table. Because how am I going to have communion if we don't have a table? So I will come down in that ark in the most holy place and there will be a table and then you will come in and it's as though God is on this side of the table and you come in on that side of the table and we will have what a table pictures, fellowship, communion. That's the purpose of this table. And that picture of the table is carried through in the New Testament as well in regards to the table of the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul speaks of that table that way in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. Where he has just said that we must have fellowship with Jehovah God and not have fellowship with the devil. And then he uses the table of the Lord's Supper to illustrate his point. You cannot be partakers or fellowshippers, communers, of the Lord's table and the table of devils. And his point is, you must live an antithetical life. You're going to come and sit at the table of the Lord for fellowship with Jehovah God and then go out and live in sin. Well, that's like coming and pulling up a chair at the table of the Lord for fellowship, for communion, for partaking with Him and then going out and saying, and now I'm going to pull up a chair at the table of the devil. And I'm going to have communion with him. And I'm going to look across the table and I'm going to say to him, you know, I really want to spend time with you and I want to have a relationship with you. I think that we have a lot in common with each other. That's what our sin is. Our coming to this table is in part to cut us off from that table. You're with me. Come, have fellowship with me. You're with me. Relate to me. You have something in common with me. I've put my life in you. I'm going to draw you to myself close. I'm going to speak to you, and you're going to speak to me. table for fellowship. The bread and the wine that was on that table of showbread. Same pictures as this bread and wine that's on this table of the Lord's Supper prepared before you. There's an astounding reality about that bread of the table of showbread that so pictures Christ that it's almost unbelievable. The bread is Christ. We have fellowship with God by partaking of Christ. He grants to us Christ and says, eat Christ, in Christ we have communion with one another That bread, that showbread, on that table in Leviticus 24, verse 5, which we read this morning, is referred to with a very particular Hebrew word. It's a specific word. It's translated 
as cake in our translation, an unleavened cake, but it means more than that. It means specifically a cake or a bread that has been pierced through. Now, it's almost, you're going to be tempted to doubt what I'm telling you because it's almost too astounding to be true, but I've checked this so many times and other commentators have spoken of it too. God in his providence ensured that the Hebrew language had a particular word that refers not just to cake or bread, but to cake or bread that has been pierced, that has been poked through. And that was the bread on that table. What a picture of the reality of the bread of life hanging there upon the cross, pierced through in his wrists and in his feet, granted to us. And then you add to that, that that bread on the table of showbread was made, Leviticus 24 says, with two-tenths deals, that is, an extra dose of flour. Normally, the bread for the offerings were made with one-tenth deal of flour. This is two-tenths to show the abundance that is in Jesus Christ. All of the abundance that's granted in Him. And then the wine. The wine in those jugs, those pitchers for the drink offering. The priests at some point would pour it out onto the ground as a symbol of the life of the Messiah that would be poured out for us. All those pictures are here on this table before you this morning. This bread is to point you to the bread of life. To the one who said, I am the bread of life. And violence is done to this bread. It has been poked through, as it were. It's been broken to show you the broken body of Jesus Christ. And there, the wine is not just sitting on this table, but it will be poured out like that wine on the table of showbread was poured out to show you that He poured out His life, gave His life unto your salvation. The table, the bread, the wine. And then there was the eating. The eating. They ate that bread. Aaron and his sons were to eat that bread once a week. And the eating of it was a picture of union with this coming Jesus Christ, this Messiah, and union with God in Him. As in the eating, the bread itself becomes a part of the body. Its particles, its minerals, its vitamins, its pieces become ingested and digested and become a part of the person who eats. So there is union with God in the partaking of this by faith. And that's in this supper too. You eat this bread. You partake of it. A picture of union with Jesus Christ. A more and more union as we partake by faith. Flesh of His flesh. Bone of His bones. So close in fellowship. There's an advance from that table and that eating to this table and this eating, only the priests could eat in the Old Testament. Aaron and his sons 
They did so on behalf of the people. They represented the people. But in the New Testament, we don't need an earthly priest to represent us. The great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come. And therefore, we are priests in Him. And we may come and eat ourselves individually and partake and partake of it in the house of God. They ate that bread in the holy place. Leviticus said it explicitly that Aaron and his priest had to stay in the tent when they ate because it's a picture. It's a picture of what's ultimately coming of the great marriage supper where we eat in heaven. Remember the tent is a picture of heaven, but even for us now, we eat together in the picture of the house of God. In this place, the saints gathered together. And when we do that, beloved, remember what Hebrews says about gathering together in corporate worship. That we come together and worship in the New Testament. That we're lifted up to the new Jerusalem itself by faith. So that the location of our worship, though physically here, spiritually, we're in the presence of the body of Jesus Christ that has been exalted. You've not come to the earthly mount, but to new Jerusalem with just men made perfect in the presence of angels when you worship. We eat too in the holy place, in heaven itself. And so pay attention when we read the form for the Lord's Supper in a little bit, to that part that says, right before you eat the bread, it says, remember, don't cleave with your hearts to the earthly, but lift them up on high in heaven where Christ sits. It's called the sursum corda, the lifting up. Ours is drawn directly from Calvin, but Calvin drew it directly from the early church. It's always been in Lord's Supper liturgies. Lift up your hearts to heaven You're eating in the holy place in the presence of God and His people. The table, the bread and wine, the eating. What about those utensils? The twelve loaves were placed on those twelve dishes, those twelve plates. The plates represented the twelve tribes of Israel and the supply that God granted a loaf for each of the tribes enough in abundance not just a crumb but a loaf a picture of the the corporate nature of this and yet the individual nature of this that we do this together they did it together as Israel and yet there's some individuality to it that one for each tribe and that's increased in our celebration of the Lord's Supper one bread Because one body gathered here and yet pieces so that each one partakes individually. So personal, so individual and yet so corporate and together so beautiful. Sweet fellowship together and individually with God in Jesus Christ at this table. And that's what the frankincense pictured. The sweetness of this communion, this fellowship with Jehovah God. Frankincense was a sweet smelling savor. Highlight the sweetness of this. It is sweet to you, right? You're not hankering to pull up your chair at the table of the devil, are you? But here at this table, 
with Jehovah God, their sweetness, fellowship with Him. And fellowship, beloved, is necessary for us. And because it's necessary for us, God has preserved it. He's preserved it from Old Testament to New Testament. He's preserved the means of grace for His people down through the ages. That's the significance of that border, that crown molding that went around that table four to six inches high. There was a very practical purpose for that crown molding. The Israelites, when they moved, remember they're traveling, traveling through the wilderness. When they packed everything up to move to a new place, God said, you may not take the bread off of that table. That bread has to stay on that table. And so that border was to keep it from falling off. Numbers 4 verse 7 describes the process for moving the table. And upon the table of showbread, they shall spread a cloth and put there on the dishes and the spoons and the bowls, and, conti- and the continual bread shall be thereon. It remained in its six rows, six of two, even as they were moving. As a sign of the fact that this communion with God was always there. This fellowship with God was always preserved for them all through their wilderness journey. It was kept by him, reserved for them, and they could attend to it. Not just there, but when they moved there. And not just there, but there too. What a marvelous thing for us. God has preserved the means of grace for us, for his people throughout the ages. And this particular means of grace, there's a table still, and bread and wine, and the reality has been preserved. The Christ is in heaven right now, preserved for us. And all of the realities are granted to us in this sacrament. He preserves it. Because by preserving it, He preserves us. We need the means of grace. And we need it again and again through our wilderness journey. Remember that the priests were to eat this every Sabbath day. Every Sabbath day. Every week. Again and again perpetually. So too, we need the means of grace every Sabbath day. Word and sacrament. Because it preserves us. And by preserving the means of grace in the midst of the world, He's preserving us. The preservation of the saints, beloved, is not this way. You're my child, so go off and do whatever you want. You're my child, and so I preserve you as my child through the means of this grace that I grant you. That's the ordinary way of the preservation of the saints. There may be exceptions to that, but that's the ordinary way. This is how I preserve you, that I grant you this means that keeps you coming for fellowship with me continuously breaks you off from your hankering over fellowship with the table of devils. It cuts you off from that. The joy and the delight of this table, of being in my presence, of seeing my abundant grace for you who are so undeserving, your dogs spiritually by nature. I make you a child of mine. Bring you to my table and give you a hope of life that is coming. 
And you don't want that anymore. And I need to be cut off from that again and again and again. It preserves me. His grace. It's your privilege to partake now of this table. Are you ready to eat? It's been preserved for you. And it will be used of God to preserve you. Are you hungry? Spiritually hungry for the reality that it represents to partake of Christ Himself? Have you discovered again that the world and its empty promises leave you unsatisfied in your soul? Wherefore then do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Come and eat and drink the Lord Jesus Christ for refreshment for your soul, for strength on your pilgrimage through this wilderness way. Until the day He takes you to the reality that both that table and the Old Testament and this table points us to ultimately. There is a tent that's coming that's greater than that Old Testament tent, that's greater than this house of God here the tent of heaven itself. There is a bread, beloved, that's coming that's greater than that bread on the table of showbread and greater than this bread itself, though both of them pointed to it. Christ Himself is there. The pierced one with an abundance of life. And there is a table There is a fellowship there. And all of that fellowship and this fellowship represented in that table and this table is pointing us to that is so intimate and so sweet. Your place, child of God, is reserved already at that table. See it in your place at this table. And dine. Amen. Father, having heard thy word, we come now to thy table and receive the joys and bounties thou givest to us by grace. Grant it to us, Father. We're undeserving. Grant it to us of pure grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen.